There are difficult people out there. There have been times when I have been talking with someone and I can feel my palms getting sweaty. I can, I can feel my breath getting shorter. And, and it's like a fuse has been lit and I can just feel it building and building and building until kaboom, right? There are certain kind of people that can take me there faster than others. There are certain kind of people that can take me there faster than others. When I was the executive pastor at Church of the Savior, I was in charge of facility use. And so I want to use this room, Pastor Max, where we want to have this event, Pastor Max. And so I was in charge of allocating rooms in the facility. And there was one lady I feared more than anyone else. And she just had a, she had a facial expression on her, on her face all the time, squinty eyes, scowl, kind of like hunched over. She looked like someone who needed to pass gas in the worst possible way, but was doing everything humanly possible to keep it in. And that was her facial expression. And I feared talking to her because it didn't matter if it was the missions conference, if there was vacation Bible school, if I was asking her ladies group to move, it was never acceptable to her. Never. You're going to encounter difficult people. Let me say that again. You're going to encounter difficult people out there. Um, People who push your buttons, people who are downright inconsiderate, people who don't seem to possess the ability to look past the end of their nose. Um, I want to share a Reddit post with you where Americans ranked annoying, difficult things from other people. People who interrupt, number one. People who never shut up, number two. People who don't flush, and this is particularly true in any public restroom in any public building, okay? People who are cruel to animals, people who violate personal space. You're in the bubble. <laughs> Step back, please. People who don't cover their mouth or their nose, and then people who chew with their mouths open. And don't you just want to tell some people, hey, Hey, could you stop that? Just stop it. You're annoying everyone. Stop it. It's so self-centered. It's so inconsiderate. Now, one of the major reasons that people are this way is because of this word right here. It's called the human ego. You got one. I got one. All of your kids got one. Some of your kids got extra ones, okay? <laughs> and so there's this thing of me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. And so it can get really hard to see past the end of, the, uh, end of your nose. On the one hand, it's true that Americans have low self-esteem. Like, I'm dumb, I'm fat, I'm not good enough. Like, we beat ourselves up internally. But on the other hand, the Bible is actually right when it asserts that people think too highly of themselves. When the Bible says that, it's not talking about self what we would consider self-esteem. It's talking about the fact that we often can't see other people as people, also equally valuable in God's eyes. And so this comes out a myriad number of ways. You're telling a story, 
and someone interrupts halfway through your story because they had something more spectacular happen at a campfire that where someone caught on fire and you know they they just got to jump in or you're someone's in a long line at Coles and the Coles return desk has one person and one register open and the line is now 15 people deep and this person is verbalizing why can't they open a second line i don't understand this you would expect more and they're just saying this out loud and you just kind of want to say to them Hey, could you use your in your head voice that doesn't operate your mouth? <laughs> okay. Here's what I want to ask of you today. If they can't see past the end of their nose, look past yours. If they can't see past the end of their nose, look past yours. The Apostle James wrote a book in the Bible, a letter uh, that we call James. Uh, that bears his name. And he knew firsthand how ego can trip up relationships. He got a first a front row seat to it in, in some of the early churches. And so he wrote this letter to a group of Christians who weren't getting along very well. Uh, there was divisiveness, there was favoritism, uh, there was uh, intolerance, and there was a desire for money and status. So the people in this church were actually showing favoritism and deference to rich people as in, hey, Josh and Emmy, pastor's having a get-together at his house for high-capacity donors, and we just want to make sure there'll be hors d'oeuvres and stuff, and we'd love to have you, and shh, don't tell anyone. Like, they were rolling that way in the first century. Thank goodness it doesn't happen anymore, right, in America. Um, and so James takes them to task, and he really rips them one for doing this. Um, and if you could summarize his letter, it, it's this phrase, be doers of the word, live what you believe, be doers of the word. And so in this letter, he's saying, look, you guys, you say you love Jesus, but you keep hurting each other. You keep offending each other. Like what's the deal? And so he, he gets into this and I'm going to be in five verses in James chapter three, and we're really going to camp out in just one verse. So James 3, verse 13, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So in this first verse, first few, for first, blah, 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 first few verses, he has a lot to say about inconsiderate people. And he contrasts false wisdom with heavenly wisdom or wisdom from below with wisdom from above. And he points out at the end there, you'll find disorder and chaos, really, evil of every kind, okay? Uh, if you've got chaos in your relationships, chances are ego 
is factoring into that relationship, those relationships, egos kind of amplifying things. Uh, and he calls them worldly, unspiritual, and motivated by the devil. It's almost as though, like, you know, in hell, the demons are gathering around and, hey, Hal, want to hit a Baptist quarterly business meeting? Watch this. <laughs> and, you know, they throw disorder and chaos and bitterness and jealousy and all this other kind of stuff. What James is saying here is that false wisdom shows itself in relationships. It reveals itself in relationships. You can tell false wisdom by the jealousy, anger, bitterness, favoritism, and other things that it creates. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You need wisdom from above. And so that's verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. I want to camp out in this verse. Rick Warren in 2012, he outlined these six words and six things that wise people never do in a relationship. And so I'm going to steal this shamelessly from Uncle Rick out in California because it, he hits it on the nail. And the first word here is pure. A wise person never compromises their integrity. Pure means uncorrupted, undiluted, untainted. Uh, the word that we use today is integrity. And integrity speaks to trust. Trust and integrity are the foundation. It's the foundational building block of relationships. Uh, if you're lying to your wife all the time, you're not going to have a marriage. Kids, if you're lying to your parents about where you are and what you're watching you're going to find that it doesn't play well. Like, so a wise person keeps their integrity and integrity is this lining up of what I say equals what I do. Okay. So pure is the first thing. Then peace loving, a wise person never antagonizes. Um, wise people are peacemakers. Um, I had a friend in high school, Dave Dell and Dave's favorite thing at the pep band games, he had cut apart a basketball and took out all the guts and it was just the leather outside of the basketball and he would put it over his head like a helmet. Now Dave had a little sister, Rosie, and Rosie was constantly, hey Dave, you look like a nerd today. Hey Dave, did you know you're ugly? <laughs> like she would, she was antagonizing him just to see if he would whack her so that she could run to mom and dad. Mom, dad, Dave hit me. Dave hit me. Punish him. He's just terrible big brother. Now, I know none of you have ever done anything like that. And that you kids who are here today, that's not ever happens in your house. But like antagonizing in relationships makes the relationships harder. Um, I want to outline three ways we antagonize in America. We compare, we condemn, and we contradict. So why can't you be like, we do it in marriages. Why can't you be like your brother? He's always bringing flowers. Or why can't you be like your sister? We say these things to our kids. Um, then there's the condemning. You should, you never, you always, you shouldn't. Uh, and whenever that's coming at someone, all they're hearing is, I stink. You think I'm a loser. Like, and that's what they receive is condemnation. Okay. And then contradicting. Well, that's not true which can sometimes take the form of gaslighting. We'll talk about that down the road. You can be right and be all alone, or you can be peace-loving and have friends. And again, next week, we'll talk about some boundaries. So peace-loving, pure, peace-loving, 
Here's another one. Consider it. A wise person never minimizes another person's feelings. Okay? Uh, the synonym here is gentle, gentleness. Um, it's a, when somebody's coming at you aggressively, it's always a good idea to ask, why are they so, why are they at DEFCON 1? Like, why are they ready to launch the nukes? What's going on? Um, uh, if a girlfriend or a wife says to you guys, I feel ugly, don't minimize the statement, but try to cultivate what's really going on. What's making you feel that way today? Um, we minimize other people's feelings all the time. And we'll say things like, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Here's the thing about feelings. I've talked about this in other settings. You feel what you feel. Feelings come and go. It's not like, right, you can control how you react and what you do with those feelings. But what you feel is legit because you're feeling it. So we can't minimize what someone else is feeling, okay? What they feel is what they feel. Uh, another, way, another way we do that is we play armchair psychologist. I can testify to this. I've been married now 32 years. I often say that the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life sounds a lot like Jenny Vanderpool's voice. However, when Jenny starts psychoanalyzing me and playing armchair psychologist and saying to me, well, you only do that because your mom, da, 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 like, whoosh, the knives come out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like avoid doing armchair psychologists with people, okay? A gentle person is considerate of the other person's feelings and what they feel is what they feel, uh, period. Another one, submissive or a willingness to yield. A wise person never criticizes another person's suggestion or opinion. Wise people are open to reason. They're open to correction, Um Sometimes it's true. There are people in your life that are driving you crazy, but can you listen and can you learn from what they might have to say? Uh, the next one, full of mercy and good fruit. Um, a wise person doesn't emphasize mistakes. Um, wise people don't rub in other people's mistakes, okay? They're merciful. That's an act of mercy. When somebody makes a mistake or does something that's stupid and they're paying what we call in America the stupid tax, beating them over the head about it doesn't, you know, doesn't do any good in a sense, right? Um, to be merciful, it's wise to cut people some slack in a sense when they mess up uh, verbally, okay? And then this last one, impartial and sincere. A wise person never fakes it. Uh, sincerity. The Greek word here is anapokritos, which is a non- Hypocrite, <laughs> literally a non-hypocrite is in the Greek, okay? Faking it in relationships, by the way, it won't, like, that doesn't work. You know this, okay? Um, the Greeks, uh, they had this Hippocrates, they would wear masks. That's the whole value on the wall back there, Don't not faking it, okay? So in relationships, be you, be genuine, warts and all. Um, the way this plays out with difficult people is sometimes some of us aren't really good about expressing what we really think or what we really want. And so we swallow it and then we go to do whatever it is that we're doing. And now our body language is betraying the fact that we don't want to be here. It's written all over our face. We didn't say anything because we felt like we couldn't say it or we shouldn't say it or whatever went out. And because we weren't honest, because we weren't authentic, because in a sense we faked something that wasn't true. Now everyone else is paying because we're grumpy Gus 
because we didn't get what we wanted because we didn't say anything. Okay. So sincerity, uh, non-hypocrite. So six things right there in just one verse of to, things to avoid in a relationship. Again, if a difficult, annoying person can't see past the end of their nose, please look past the end of yours. Let me ask a couple of questions in light of what James says in this passage. When it comes to inconsiderate people and annoying people in your life, on the whole, do you tend to think, make things better with how you respond or do you tend to make things worse? What's your overall track record? And that's probably a good indicator of, hey, maybe I need to change some things or maybe, okay. Um, when it comes to inconsiderate people, do you tend to make things worse or do you tend to make things better? And then secondly, this is the harder one, I think. Who might you be a difficult person for? When it comes to sermon topics like the, this, difficult people, let's be honest, difficult people aren't here today unless they're sitting next to you and you really don't want to tell them. <laughs> okay? Difficult people aren't here today. They're all out there. But one of the shocking things to me that occurred to me in my 30s was the realization that I, Max Vanderpool, was actually the difficult person for someone else. And I was like, what? You got to be kidding me, Lord. And then the Lord was like, no. <laughs> They've been talking to me about you. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. So who might you be a difficult person for? I've posted online uh, on uh, my Facebook page and the, the private Facebook page of uh, Generations the sociologists and psychologists have put together a difficult person test. So you take the test and it will score you at the end and it will give you an indicator of, yes, people might find you difficult or no. Okay. You're, you know, generally a doormat and people are like, Oh, this is great. Like, <laughs> you know, okay. So, and we'll talk about that down the road too. So how do you take this home? What might this look like in your life or, or, uh, my life? Before I get there, I want to talk to you teenagers for a moment. So teenagers, people are complicated. People are complicated. They say things they don't mean. Sometimes it's hard to know what they want. But if you want life to be hard, do the opposite of what's in this verse, okay? If you want your life to be hard, lie. Lie all the time. Lie to your parents. Lie to your friends. Just lie. Uh, antagonize people. Like Rosie, Dave's little sister. Antagonize people. Um, minimize other people's feelings. Criticize their opinions. Be judgmental and be a hypocrite. You do those six things, I guarantee there is no man or woman that will want to be your boyfriend or girlfriend for very long. Your parents will celebrate the day you move out of the house. <laughs> and when you get a job, no one will stick their neck out for you. Okay. So this is important stuff. So what do you do the next time you encounter the non-listener? These are the people that you're like, I'm talking. Hello. <laughs> like They're just not listening. Everything about their body language is communicating. They're not listening. The one upper, you're trying to say something and all of a sudden you're not even finished, but they're telling their story, which is more extravagant or whatever than the one you were on. The gossiper, the one you know that's been talking about you to everyone else or the curmudgeon. The curmudgeon in an organization is typically the person who does this. 
I remember America back in the 1970s. The bicentennial was so much better than America now. Make it great. Ah, things are better under Jimmy Carter. Like, I'm exaggerating. No one actually thinks that. Well, I don't know. Somebody might. But like, they're in the organization. They're talking about the glory days and how coach so-and-so is better or da-da-da. So that's the typical curmudgeon. So you're going to encounter these people. So how do you do? What do you do? How do you map this out? First of all, Okay, let's try that. We're going to take a deep breath now. One, two, three. You may not realize this, but when you're dealing with difficult, annoying people, they trigger in you a flight or fight response. And the deep breathing, taking a deep breath, is a way to tell your body, everything's going to be okay. We don't have to launch the nukes today. <laughs> We don't have to run, right? So it breaks up that flight or fight response. So by taking that deep breath, you're telling your body, hey, it's okay. So take a deep breath. Secondly, be curious. So again, because of this meanness, when, when you've got an annoying, difficult person, our tendency is, I don't understand why they're treating me this way. I can't believe they're saying this to me. Oh my goodness, that hurt my feelings. Or I need to be somewhere and I can't believe they're delaying me from like, like they're keeping, I'm trapped. Like, so the, the focus is here, but I want to encourage you and ask you to stretch to be curious about what might be going on with them. What might be going on in their life? What might be causing them to be so aggressive where they are now? What's going on in their world? What happened this week or this month or this year? Um, so be curious. And then lastly, this one's going to be tricky. Be grateful. Look for ways to thank that person for anything that you can thank them for. And you're looking at me like crazy. You're going to find something, something, even if it's minuscule, and, and thank them. The, the, the curiosity and the gratitude will change the, the power dynamic of the relationship. It'll change the power dynamic of the relationship. And sometimes, not always, it will actually soften their aggression uh, because you're seeing them as a human being. So remember the lady I told you about from Church of the Savior days? Miss, I need to pass gas and I'm not going to do it. Like it's written all over her face. I was so frustrated with her that I went in to see my boss, Pastor Steve. And so I, I went in, Pastor Steve, so-and-so is, ah, 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 what do I do? Ah. And I remember him leaning him back in his big leather chair. And he said, well, Max, you don't know her backstory, do you? And so I got a little bit of her backstory and thought, whoa, she's had some hard things come at her. And then he said, I want you to pay attention to how she comes in every week. Did you know that she comes in three days a week and she does this, 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 and this, and this. And she, he listed off like eight things she did for the church every single week. Now, three of those eight things would leave women, you know, leaving the church mad and mad at her and mad at God and everything else. But like she showed up and she was faithful and she did those eight things. So I started complimenting her for her service and for showing up. I said, hey, I want you to know, I want you to know that uh, 
you coming in and doing, and I, I, I see that. Wow, thank you. Really? Before we launched Generations, it had gotten to the point when I encountered her that I didn't get the long lecture anymore. I just got the look. When I told her she, she had to have a different room, I get the short sigh and off she went <laughs> to the different room. And I looked at that as success, not realizing how much things could change over time. So that's 20 some years ago. And about five or six years ago, because of one of the roles I have with the Chamber of Commerce, I now come across her path twice a year. And the first time this happened, there she was in her default pose. <laughs> and I'm walking across this lobby of this large place. She straightens up. A giant smile comes across her face. And she says, Max Vanderpool, how are you? And a giant smile. And I thought, what in the world is going on? <laughs> and we had the most pleasant conversation. The next year, I was stunned even more. D Max Vanderpool, how are you? And she started walking toward me, and her arms came out. I felt initial pause of what's going to happen, and then the bear hug. I, in that moment, I thought, have I been hit by a truck? Like, am I dreaming this? Like, what's going on? Like, this makes no sense. Now, here's the thing. You may not, you may look past the end of your nose. You may be gracious, uh, grateful, and, and curious to some of these annoying, difficult people, and you may see no change whatsoever. Maybe you'll see a softening like I did with this lady from Church of the Savior, but you may not. The reason that we do this is because if you go back to this verse, this is exactly how Jesus is and was to us. Um, verse 17, the wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy and good deeds, showing no favoritism, always sincere. That's how, remember, when Jesus does something, God's doing something. When Jesus says something, God's saying something. So the way that Jesus handled us when we were, let's be honest, annoying to God, <laughs> because of sin and rebellion and all this other stuff, Jesus was those things to us. And this is why we do this for others.